Everything in the universe would then be determined by evolution according to the laws of science, so it is difficult to see how we can be masters of our fate. And perhaps most notoriously of all, Richard Dawkins describes human beings as survival machines, robot vehicles blindly programmed to preserve the selfish molecules known as genes. In recent years, Views like these have become increasingly mainstream. Work in neuroscience has put wind into the sails of those who would deny free will. The springs of our actions do not appear to be our conscious thoughts, desires, and intentions, but unconscious processes in the brain, ones which often set actions in process before we are even aware of anything. As neuroscientist Sam Harris one of the most strident recent deniers of free will sums it up. The popular conception of free will seems to rest on two assumptions. One, that each of us could have done differently than we did in the past, and two, that we are the conscious source of most of our thoughts and actions in the present. Since neither of these assumptions appears to stand up to scientific scrutiny, The game would seem to be over for free will, or at least the popular conception of it. Free will is an illusion has become such a common claim that it is often accompanied by a knowing, of course. Proponents of this view concede that the illusion of freedom is so powerful that denying it usually makes little or no difference to how we act in daily life. Everyone feels as though she has free will, they say, even if she knows, on reflection, that she does not. But this new orthodoxy does not leave the world exactly as it is. Most importantly, it challenges our notions of responsibility. If we accept that all our actions are the inevitable result of causes over which we have no control, then we cannot, in good faith, continue to hold people morally responsible for their actions. If free will goes, it seems blame and responsibility must go too, and with them the foundations of law and morality. Whenever there is a murder, for example, there is almost always a defense that the killer was himself the victim of forces beyond his control. After James Huberty shot and killed 21 people in San Diego in 1984, for example, It was claimed that his rage was the result of monosodium glutamate in McDonald's food and poisoning by lead and cadmium in fumes inhaled while working as a welder. So, is the game really up for free will? I, and many other, greater minds, don't think so. But at the same time, it is true that the common-sense notion of free will is not fit for purpose— It rests on a naive and simplistic assumption that we can rise above our biology and our history to make choices in a condition of unconstrained freedom. The challenges to free will need to be met not by rejecting them wholesale, but by thinking more carefully about what it truly means to be free, rather than what we simply assume it to mean. Free will is an issue of pressing social and political importance. On the one hand, there are those who believe that people are too quick to blame society, their genes, their upbringing, or their brain, rather than take responsibility for their actions. 
As the then British Prime Minister John Major said in 1993, society needs to condemn a little more and understand a little less. This drives public policies that reduce welfare dependence and state support, and promotes criminal justice policies that replace bleeding-heart compassion with more punitive measures. Yet at the same time, other trends stress the ways in which our fates are fixed by a conspiracy of nature and nurture. As a major government report put it in 2011, the evidence is clear that children's experiences in their early years strongly influence their outcomes in later life, across a range of areas, from health and social behavior to their employment and educational attainment. The most recent neuroscientific evidence highlights the particular importance of the first three years of a child's life. Many governments have also embraced...